and welcome to everyone. Thanks for um, those who did put in the chat where you're zooming in from and just a deep heartfelt welcome to, in particular, to Leanne and Christina for being here for the first time. Um, Lisa, love your greeting of greeting wise friends. Indeed. Welcome, wise friends. Casey and Althea from Portland, KL in Seattle, Sheila in Arizona. Just welcome, welcome. Um, and if you do feel so moved to put in the chat, just a word or two, maybe about how you're doing. Uh, as Christina mentioned, there's a lot going on um, with just how the heart is perhaps on this morning for some, afternoon for others. If any of our European Dharma sisters show up, uh, evening for them. Just logistically, for those of you who are new, in a few moments, we'll move into an arriving sit, just to sort of the transition to help us land um, here in our sangha, so here in this body. Uh, about 10 minutes or so from there, we'll do a movement practice, depending on the capacities of the body. It might look like walking meditation, or it might look like a movement of the arm or the hand, whatever is possible. And I'll give instructions for that when we get there. After that, we'll sit together. We'll come back from that movement practice. We'll sit together uh, for, for about a half an hour. And then I'll talk for a bit. And then the final portion of our time today will be a chance for us to hear from each other. Uh, as Lisa mentioned, these wise friends of ours, our Dharma sisters here, there's so much wisdom. And it's my hope um, that as we get to hear from each other and learn from each other that we get to uh, knit our community ties ever tighter that we've been online now over three and a half years. And it's for me, at least it's just been such an alive and rich and wonderful Sangha to be a part of. I hope that people feel that way too. Uh, but again, this chance that we get to hear from each other um, with sort of what we're sitting with or just any, it's also a time for practice questions. So that's the logistical uh, arc of our time together. It is a deep aspiration of mine that this class, this Sangha feels like a place of belonging and a, a place of refuge. That line I quote almost weekly from John O'Donohue that the body knows she belongs. It's our minds that make us so homeless. And in these teachings of working with the mind and the habits of the mind, really being able to um, offer ourselves an experience of, can I allow myself to belong? Uh, to that end, if I say anything in the course of my speech, when we're uh, ever, but when we're together, uh, that lands as an, as an ouch born out of my ignorance or privilege or is somehow exclusory in any way, please let me know. But the best way to do that would be to email me at gracefishermft at gmail, just because then I can um, have more time to respond. Those of you who know me know I'm not, I'll just phone, I'm not that immediately quick to respond to emails, but I will respond. So if you don't hear from me within a day or two, just nudge me um, and I'll get back to you. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are my aspirations. And again, just please feel my, um, just a, a delight that you all are here and that we get to, that we get to sit together. Uh, this is certainly a, a refuge for me amidst all the goings on in the world. And I'm just delighted that we have this anchor together. With all that being said, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and just a word on that, um, keeping your camera on. It's so lovely that your cam when your camera is on. And personally, I know I, when I take classes or I'm on retreats, um, I'll sometimes turn my camera off and, and it's okay to turn it on and off, but just know it makes it so much richer when your camera is on. 
and take care of yourself to that. And also um, whatever your body needs, sitting might be the appropriate uh, position for the body. And sometimes we have people like, I just want to um, lie down, which is totally fine. So just again, uh, we, we are, um, may this feel as homey as possible and take care of your body in whatever way is possible. So thank you. And Miss uh, grieving the, the loss of life around the world. Yes, indeed. And thank you for bringing that in and um, in the sense of making space for all that's here. Right. These are, as they have been, they are challenging times. So I'm going to invite you to, again, drop, drop the gaze, close the eyes. And just to check in, I will often start my sits with a hand to the heart, a hand to the belly. And just breathing into the hands is like here. There's nowhere else to be, just here. And just to check in, how is this body just now? Another thread that I hope runs through our time today and the classes overall is that together we're cultivating our ability to meet however we are in this moment with as much friendliness as possible, much as we would check in with a friend. Uh, in a sense of how is it in the body just now? And some of us may be sitting in perfect health. Some of us may be sitting with terminal illness, chronic illness, recovering from surgery, broken bones, any of the myriad of illnesses we can have. This too. Can we just open to in the body just now? It's like this, where there might be aches and pains, where there's ease. And in the spirit of this transitioning time from whatever we are all in the middle of 10 minutes ago, also just allowing there to be a sense of arriving. The mind might be really busy or caught in something else. Okay. Then can we drop the attention to feel the sit bones, what's supporting them? If the feet are in any way touching the earth, allowing a connection to the energies of the earth, And then just having this open, curious awareness, how is it in the body just now? And there may be a sense of it's pleasant, unpleasant. Okay, just noting if there's pleasantness, there's unpleasantness without a need to um, wish it were otherwise or be critical in any way of ourselves. Just extending this, the generosity of kindness, like, oh, Sweetheart, just now, it's like this in the body. Just releasing ourselves of any need or even wish for it were, that it were otherwise, even when there's unpleasantness. Being able to settle in, oh, just now, it's like this in the body. second of of three inquiries in this arriving sit is perhaps to keep yourself located in the body if that makes sense or connected to the body again hand to the heart hand to the belly if that feels helpful and just to check in how are the energies of the mind the mind might be really quiet and settled and unified the mind might be all over the place thinking about that thinking about this jumping around 
the thinking mind might be perseverating or trying to figure something out in the judging or comparing mode, list-making mode, right? all the different machinations of the mind. And for now, we're just being curious, how is it? Again, without the need for it to be otherwise. Appreciating that it may be pleasant or it may be unpleasant. Okay. But again, extending this curiosity, how is it in the mind just now? Oh, it's like this. It's busy. It's quiet. It's annoying. It's changing. And I think I say this every week, but this is one of my favorite parts of the practice. This capacity we develop to watch the thinking mind. Because in that observation, in the space of that observation, there's the opportunity for choice. But for right now, we're just noticing, oh, it's like this. A looping thought, repetitive story, replaying something that happened 20 minutes ago. Just almost like shining a light of curiosity. How is it? What's happening with a thinking mind just in this moment? And again, without the need for it to be otherwise. Oh, it's just like this. Okay. And sort of extending that sense of spaciousness around the observation of how the mind is. And then the third area of inquiry be again it's helpful to put both hands at the heart center or one hand over the heart and, and just to feel and how's the heart today and as Sagar since I mentioned the heaviness of feeling the loss of life in the world all that's happening check in with a if we can feel into the sensation of the heart there's a heaviness or a buoyancy or a dullness you can't tell It can be helpful sometimes to imagine the breath moving into the heart and then exhaling from the heart. So like that. The breath can be like a cool breeze, caressing the heart and then exhaling out. So breathing through the heart, if that makes sense. Noticing any sensations around the heart as we allow the breath to move through. And then calling to mind some beloveds. And this may be in the form of animals or places or humans. Humans here in this realm, humans that have passed on. But allowing there to drop into the heart to feel how it is to be with those you hold most dear. If it's helpful even to imagine whomever shows up to that invitation, just having them before you. Is there a a gladdening of the heart or a brightening of the heart as you call these beloveds to mind? Allowing yourself to feel this heart connection or to imagine feeling it if it's harder to actually feel it. 
and just allowing yourself to feel a sense of connection to that which is beautiful and it may be in the form of a human an animal a place allowing there to be this sense of connection and then expanding the circle to include friends neighbors colleagues our Dharma sisters here to feeling into having a sense of a not just this sangha but the our community around us and it may be humans you don't know very well or humans you do know well but if we're sort of leading with a heart and feeling into the sense of connection to the person you see walking down the street to the person that you see at the market to the plants and animals that are around you in your environment, allowing yourself to have a sense of connection to the natural world around you. And just allowing this heart sense of connection to expand, to include all beings. Just checking out how that feels. Sometimes it might be hard to actually feel, and then just imagine it. Imagine the sense of feeling a sense of connection and belonging. I think they're going to go together, yeah. So we can allow ourselves to feel connected. Oh, yeah. We're part of this intricate web of beings. We are in intricate, vital part of it. No parts left out. And so from here, in just a few moments, we'll transition into the movement practice. And the Buddha taught the four postures of sitting, lying down, standing, and walking. Take that to me. And he says, like, you can do this anywhere. It's very portable. So as we've been, the last 10 minutes or so, just cultivating a sense of presencing, being aware of ourselves, our bodies. And then we kind of take it on the road, as it were. And I said before, if walking is not an option, it can just be a movement of the arm or a movement of the hand. And this open curiosity to, well, how is it to allow the awareness to follow the movement uh, as the arm may move through the, the, the air currents or the contraction and expansion of the muscles of the arm or of the hand. That's sort of the anchor of the attention, and the mind does what it does, right? And we bring it back. Oh, can I stay in the body as I'm moving, either like this or moving through space and walking? Typically, with walking meditation, the practice can be 10 or 15 paces. I like to come to a hard stop, check in, so where has my mind wandered off to? Come back into the body. I often will put my attention in my feet and sort of feeling all the little bones as I lift and place my feet. If the mind is really busy, it can be helpful just to note lifting, placing, lifting, placing. Thich Nhat Hanh's beautiful invitation with one foot, I'm blessing the earth. With another, I'm being blessed. So as, again, giving the mind a job, like blessing, blessed, blessing, blessed. I'm going to invite us all to stay on on in this retreat of ours. Uh, for many of us, when we're home, it's like, yeah, I can do a little errand here and there. Invite you just to stay, to feel into the support of your sisters all around the country. 
uh, and possibly abroad, uh, to feel the support in our engaging with a movement practice together. So may the practice be of benefit. We will be back here in 18 minutes. Uh, Christina will ring the bell and we'll move right into the sit from there. So thank you so much. Enjoy the time. Way of meeting ourselves. Allowing the body to come into a posture that allows you to feel relaxed, open, available. And for our anchor for the sit today, I'm going to invite us to stay with the body. And for some, it might look like riding the wave of the breath, like working with a half breath in and a half breath out. To feel the inhalation and the exhalation. And we might notice this through the nose or the mouth or the movement in the chest, the expansion in the belly. It's nice to pick one. As I keep saying, it's sort of helpful to have the hands here as that connection, the connectivity to the movement of the breath. It helps me focus. Resting in the knowledge that there's nowhere else to be, there's nothing else to do. We've already committed this time for us to sit together. The mind does what it does. And we can keep directing our attention back to the breath. So in a way, no matter what comes through the mind or what passes uh, along that image of the mind is the blue sky and all kinds of clouds can pass by. We can still just rest this breath, this half breath in, this exhale. is steady and reliable as an anchor and the mind does what it does and when we get caught we are aware that there were absorbed in a thought or perseverating we can just come back to the breath in that moment that catch oh I'm thinking I'm comparing I'm judging those are the small moments of enlightenment we catch it oh and then the choice to redirect the attention, the awareness back to the movement of the breath, the inhale and the exhale. I'm very aware that the breath is not always a neutral anchor for folks. So if it's not for you, just let it go. And then the attention can rest with the sensation perhaps of if your hands are resting upon each other or if your hands are on your legs that light pressure that may change, the temperature may change, the feeling of the bones of the hand on bones of the leg or the bones of the hands holding each other. Again, just as a a curious anchor point, let me rephrase that, an anchor point that we can be curious about as a resting place for our attention. And we know, we know the mind will do what it does. This is not a problem. This is just how it is. And we undertake the training together 
to orient, to direct the attention here, rest here. Knowing it will get up and wander away. And then we bring the attention back here, rest here in the body. In the hands, hands on the legs or on the breath. With the invitation or perhaps intention that, let's go with invitation, that these anchor points are refuges. Sometimes the mind is <laughs> a terrible place to be. And when we can redirect the our attention here, just rest here, rest on this, again, the wave of the breath, rest on the sensation of the bones in the hand holding the other bones of the other hand the weight of one hand or both hands on the legs or another body part, another body sensation that may be a neutral or easeful anchor. And we're just developing together our capacity to direct the attention, right? Here, rest here. Oh, pulled out. Okay, come back. Resting also in the awareness that there's no such thing as a bad sit. And we come, we take our seats, and we see how it is to be alive and in this body, in this moment. So releasing ourselves from any expectation of how we should show up for a sit. No two sits are ever alike. And really, to the extent possible, allowing ourselves just to enjoy. Hey, check this out in this moment. It's like this. And then check this out. In this moment, it's like this. Resting attention on the breath, in the body. I guess in some ways pointing to, can we rest in a basic okayness? With whatever comes. The mind's going to do what it does. We're just going to keep saying, hey, so we come back to the breath. Come back to this body sensation. And in that resting place, we're cultivating our ability to have a sense of okayness in the face of whatever comes. So, again, no such thing as bad sit. And we enjoy our time sitting together, however it unfolds, yeah.
on our sit together, as always. Um, and today, we've been, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, for the past 10, 12 weeks or so, we've been on a journey through the paramis, which are the 10 perfections of the heart. Uh, it is said in the mythology that the before the Buddha incarnated into the, his life as the Buddha, Gautama, uh, in his previous lives, um, he embodied each of these heart practices. I think he had, as the story goes, he had more than uh, more than 12 lives, but uh, that these are a significant importance in terms of preparing us, preparing the heart um, and supporting the heart for um, a life of um, being awake. And these qualities are uh, generosity, sila, integrity, wisdom, wise resolve, wise use of energy, um, effort, uh, wise use of our effort, um, patience, truthfulness, um, love and kindness we did thus week, um, wisdom. And today, the final the crown jewel, as I said, is equanimity. Uh, the poly word is upeka. And equanimity isn't on a lot of the lists that the Buddha taught. And in the, the Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes, where the heart rests in loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, it is said to be the crown jewel. Um, from Christina Feldman's book, Boundless Heart, I'm just going to share this. Uh, equanimity gives selflessness to metta, loving kindness. It gives patience, courage, and fearlessness to compassion. It guards joy from sentimentality and brings all the ennobling, ennobling qualities of the heart together in liberation. In uh, this book, uh, Ajahn Sutito's The Paramis, which is available as an ebook um, online, um, he writes about equanimity called at the tops. Well, um, we're looking for the highest, the best, the tops. Um, what good does being equanimous do? Uh, sorry. Um, uh, sorry. Go past that. Uh, Everything that manifests as ourselves or others is a passing show. If we don't mess with it, this passing show of our lives and perceptions and ideas and conditions and conditioning and habits, if we don't mess with it, we don't doubt, tear or take sides, blame others, or get stuck in ourselves. We have access to an openness that can't be put into an opinion. That's quite a realization and quite an asset. With equanimity, there is no panic. No defense, claiming, rejecting, blaming, worrying, doubting, or treasuring. It's a state that allows all that to empty out. So is the tops. Something one could justifiably get a little excited about. <laughs> Just the idea of having the mind state be one that is free from rejecting, worrying, blaming, doubting, or treasuring. <laughs> Seems like a pretty nice place to be, and we have moments of it. And again, the task at hand is only as ever great as the size of the moment. So being able to have the horizon be very close to what's possible in this moment. And when I mentioned before in the um, arriving sit, just this notion of, oh, I can watch the patterns of my mind. I can watch where what eddies it gets caught in. And in so watching, that question of, do I want to do this, can come up. It's not so easy snapping the fingers and changing but it's a pointing to that there is choice. There's a way to reorient the mind to correct those default neural pathways that do not serve us. Um, 
Um, there's always an inner scurry, there's a scurrying inner secretary who's always handing us uh, comments or names. In this chapter, um, Sutio speaks about um, the signaling, the way that the mind is constantly narrating. I like this. I don't like that. That's pretty. That's ugly. That's the flower. Oh, that's a bunny rabbit. You know, it's kind of like the mind's all over the place, naming things. That's called signing. Um, and that it's just part of how we're wired, right? It helps orient us. It's a way of staying safe. But well, it can really take over, particularly when there's an opinion of like, this is good, this is bad. Uh, and how things are changed. Like we can, if we're eating something that's so delicious and so great, if you ate it every day or if you just uh, it, I just ate too much of it, somebody like, well, this makes me sick. Right. So the percept, our perceptions are always changing. Nothing's set. So what's good might at some point we might get tired of it or what's bad. Somehow we might adjust to it and like it. So these signings of like this, don't like that is really a way of um, it's allowing our opinions to run amok. And I believe it was Ajahn Suchito or Ajahn Sumedho, but one of our uh, beloved elders who invited a teaching of, do I have to have an opinion about this? which I love um, for a while. That was a um, something I really worked with quite a bit. And this is not about being passive or a doormat or not caring about things. It's just the sort of relentlessness with which our opinions can be like, I like this. I don't like that. I like that person. I don't like that. I'm going to be close to this. The of the mind, the chatter, the inner secretary that's scurrying around having opinions. And it's lightning. Like, what if I don't? And it's not to say that we don't care. Um, about something, uh, but we are aligning that which what we care about with our values, right? With what matters, arguably with these paramis, with these heart elements of, um, of how do I want to show up in the world? Say, perhaps I want to show up as a as a kind person, <laughs> knowing that we times when I won't be. But if we align that way, like then the opinions I have is it in the service of kindness? Is it in the service of me showing up in the best way uh, that I want to show up in the world? Um, and I must say, I love the idea of each of us having this inner secretary that's scurrying around, handing us the name of the opinion, the sign. It's busy, isn't it? But when all the signs are seen as relative, and when the compulsive self-interest is laid aside, the secretary can take a break. With the sign maker on holiday, we can get a taste of deep peace. This is called not making it that and I'm going to mispronounce this poly word, so forgive me, but it's A-T-A-M-M-A-Y-A-T-A, Amataya. Um, the realization of the source of the mind. And just even that there is a name for this, the not making it that, makes me love the poly language. There's no identification, even with a knowing, which is the last hideout of self-view. There is no inner need to know and describe anything, and yet there's clear awareness this is the ceasing of the name that is synonymous with full awakening. And this idea of being able to rest, even just in the moment, in the not making it that, I love this idea. Of like, oh, it can just be, it just is. You know, with circumstances or experiences that we have in the moment, we're like, ah, this is horrible. But in time, it kind of fades. We don't have, we can release that label. When I was on the rafting trip this summer, which I spoke about a bit ago, there was, um, Oh, I wish I could remember the word, but there was a word of like rear view mirror fun. 
like the guides talking about their horror show time when they just like nearly died on the rafting trips and they're like, oh yeah, in retrospect, that was great. Um, and we can have experiences like, oh, that was so terrible. But as we get out, we're like, ah, maybe it wasn't so bad. And this pers- that our perspective can change, right? We're not fixed. Everything is in, in motion and flow. And if we can abide by or rest in this fluidity, things are changing and permanence is real. There's a resting place there because we don't have to hold on or grip so much or so intensely. Um, from Christina's book, forgive me just a moment, um, change screens. Um, uh, so again, about equanimity. Equanimity begins with awareness of the places and moments where equanimity most easily vanishes. Our life is an unceasing, almost unstoppable flow of events, one following on the heels of another, like a river that emerges from a spring and begins to flow. In the course of the river, there are stretches of white water, places of calm, followed by rapids and whirlpools that once more turn into, can turn into waterfalls. We can no more stop the river than we can shield ourselves from the events um, that bring their joys and sorrows. Equanimity holds with it a quality of resilience that is not an armoring against the winds of the world or the changing nature of the water and the river of our life, but born of inner strength and voice. Equanimity is rooted in the cellular understanding of impermanence. It does not mean we don't care. It simply means we do not cling. It is a teaching not only of poise and grace, but of a deep knowing that life will not stand still for any of us. And that to rely upon stability is a recipe for agitation and anxiety. We see ways in a single day that our minds swing between highs and lows, elation and despair, fear and confidence. Equanimity pivotally teaches us to meet this river of uncertainty and changing events with respect, yet without being governed by them. Praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain. Success and failure are, are, are these eight worldly winds that constantly blow around us and those we love. Um, they ceaselessly change. As a mountain is unshakable by the wind, so the heart uh, is to a wise person as is, is steady amidst all the changes on this earth. And these beautiful descriptions of equanimity, again, as a place to abide, it's not a so much as a mental state or a feeling, it's just a place of residence. We can cultivate this capacity to be able to stand in the middleness of it all, or in this 30,000-foot view. Equanimity also has that line I've shared before, so I've seen the world through grandmother's grandmotherly eyes, like, oh, I've seen all this before, and being able to settle in. And in times, like what's happening um, now in the world, in the Middle East, like, there's events that are so sh- shocking and um the list of that terrifying tragic horrifying yes and how can we have there be enough space and really cultivating in the sense of spaciousness around yes the atrocities of war yes and and being able to um, not get so caught up in our reactivity that we lose our sense of self we lose connection to ourselves and then we're kind of off over here in the land of reactivity where Rarely do we make good decisions or behave again in alignment with that values that we hold dear about how we want to show up. 
from, I share this poem all the time. <laughs> I'll acknowledge that um, it's by Thich Nhat Hanh. Please call me by my true names. And I remember for those of you who used to come on the land, being in the old meditation hall, which was a double wide trailer, um, hearing this poem for the first time and the, the teachings of equanimity for me landed so profoundly. And I hope that this poem um, will illustrate illustrate this. So um, don't, so please call me by my true names. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today, I'm still arriving. Look deeply. Every second I'm arriving to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in the stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosizing on the surface of the river. I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond. I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda off skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks. And I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. I am the pirate, my heart yet not capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands, and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth, my pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and my laughter at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, a door of compassion. And one of the things I so love about this poem, and for me, remember the first time I heard it, it was like, oh, yeah. I could be all of those things. And we can tend to um, one-dimensionalize people or ourselves, parts of ourselves, other people. Oh, they're like this. They did this action, they're like this. And there's a way of kind of liberating people back into the three dimensions of we all have this capacity to be good or evil, do act, and it's our ability to pay attention, stay connected to our heart. Again, that allows us to be guided by this constellation of the Parmes, by this constellation of that which matters most. But to um, this equanimity in this poem, I feel it gives us such permission to fold in our own shadow aspects, the parts that get grouchy or get mad or get caught in anger or can rage. And yeah, it's part of the human condition. So how can we let that in. Okay, this too. Rumi's poem, The Guest House, of, um, welcome and entertain all the visitors from beyond, even if they're a crowd of sorrows, clearing your house, emptying your house, clear of furniture. Welcome and entertain them all. They've all been sent from a guest from uh, from beyond to open you up to some new delight, to completely butcher the poem. But <laughs> those are some key lines. But this way of opening up to the complexity that is within ourselves and saying, yeah, this too this is here too, without having to name it or labeling it because I had this thought or this action or because I did this, I'm somehow a bad person or 
being able to free ourselves from the label and more resting in the this too. Yeah, this too. This by um, Inside It All by Rosemary Watala Traumer. Beneath the masks, beneath the names, beneath ideals, beneath the shrouds, this is a thrumming, ecstatic, atomic swirl, unseen and omnipresent, inescapable and holy, a divine blurring of being, a realm of change and energy, most of it empty space. Sometimes I remember this, perhaps walking in the woods or standing in the midst of a city's war, perhaps working in the kitchen or singing in a choir. I remember who we really are. Remember, not with mind, but with being. And I'm lost in it, found in it, alive in the cloud of it, astonished with the sacred design of it, elegant soup of it, elemental swirl of it all. How is it I sometimes see only woman, man, cottonwood, spider, self, other, 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 other. We walk. (laughs) We walk. This sorry, <laughs> I read this before. Um, we walk this journey of separation together. Oh, being who is lonely, remember. And so much of our loneliness, and so much of the sorrow and tragedy and harm that's happening in the world is this bound upness in other, other, other. And when we can remember the Divine blurring of being the realm of change and energy, and most of it is empty space. And what a beautiful ideal it is to be able to call that forth as a remembrance of what is true, right? As a reliable truth that our minds are so good at through the different perceptions and habits and conditions and um, what we intake um, in terms of what we read or see or listen to, we can create these other worlds that aren't true or certainly not necessarily shared by another. And uh, Ajahn Sutito, that earlier quote of when we can release ourselves from all the entanglements of the mind, so much of which can be rooted in the sense of uh, fear. Because when we're scared is when the, the wiring of the mind kicks into me versus you, us versus them, and how um, there's a diluted quality to that. Yeah, it's not um, it's not a nature of reality in the Buddhist teachings. And that part of what we undertake in this practice is to really clear, keep <laughs> continuously clearing away the diluted thinking or thinking born out of ignorance, hatred, or greed that gets in our way from being able to feel a sense of connection, feel a sense of belonging, um, and a sense of beauty in the world, in addition to being open to all the 10,000 joys and sorrows. I'm not trying to create a picture that if we can abide in this land of equanimity, everything's going to be great. Like humanity is humanity. Um, And wars are happening. Harm is being done. But what are we doing? And how within our own selves, and we spoke of this some last week of cultivating a sense of friendliness within ourselves, likewise creating a sense of really a place of of balance, um, a place to reside within our own selves that uh, is safe, by which I mean um, 
there's a sense of steadiness of the mind, um, a place to stand, a firm ground to stand upon. This is from Mary Oliver. I worried, I worried a lot. Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Can I do better? Will I ever be able to sing? Even the sparrows can do it, and I am well, hopeless. Is my eyesight fading, or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up. And took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. This catch, oh, I don't have to do this. I can notice the pattern of worrying, whether it's some future thing or some closer in thing. That question we've, I've referred to in the previous week of, is this a benefit to myself? Is this a benefit to another? Is it a benefit to the larger, greater welfare? So in those moments when watching the habit mind, perhaps caught in worry or noting a fear or contraction, is this serving me? <laughs> so how do we release it? Yeah, um, it's easier said than done. But again, this pointing to it is possible to release it. And sometimes those pathways are really have a lot of traction. They have decades. They're well paved. So it can take help to kind of step out or find new ways of working with the mind. And I know for myself in the sort of 2 a.m. thought patterns that generally are never good. It's that question of like, can you think something else and offering the mind something else to think? So in the spirit of that, for our guided exercise, uh, I thought we'd do a little bit of working with the equanimity phrases. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just come back into yourself. Um, I'm sorry, I keep saying this, but it's so habitual for me. I'm sort of hand to the heart, hand to the belly, just as a way of greeting yourself again. Bring your energy back in. And I'm going to ask each of us to call to mind someone who's so dear to us. It can be an animal, again, a place. If it's your child, it might be your sleeping child. Someone that when you call to mind, there's not a, it's not complicated. There's not a lot of agitation. And in fact, when you imagine yourself sitting before this person, there's a delight. Excuse me, that sense of the gladdening of the heart. And just to take a moment to breathe in, imagine this person in this fully present way as possible. And noticing the light in their eyes or what they're wearing what smells you might notice, how, again, you feel in their presence. And then I'm going to offer some phrases. May you be balanced. May you live with peace. May you learn to see the arising and passing of all things with equanimity and balance. May you remain peaceful and let go of fixed views. May you live with balance. May you live with peace. May you remain peaceful and let go of fixed views. 
may you rest with a balanced heart. Just noticing how these phrases resonate or not. Noticing how it feels in your body to really be offering the sense of balance, ease, equanimity, steadiness, groundedness to this dear one. May you live with balance. May you live with peace. May you remain peaceful and let go of fixed views. May you accept the changing circumstances of your life. May you have steadiness of heart. And just as you wished this dear one, these wishes of equanimity, of balance and peace, so too then can you offer this to yourself. And this person to whom you are offering the phrases, if it's helpful to imagine them perhaps coming to sit beside you or even stand behind you, they have your back. That you can feel companioned by this dear one as you offer these phrases to yourself. May I live in balance and with peace. May I remain peaceful and let go of fixed views. May I accept the changing circumstances of my life. May I bear witness to things just as they are. May I learn to see the arising and passing of all things with equanimity and balance. May I be at peace. May I live with balance. May I accept the changing circumstances of my life. May I be undisturbed by the coming and going of life's events. May I see the world with quiet eyes. May I see the world with grandmotherly eyes. Again, noticing if there's a resonance with these phrases in the body, what it feels like to allow yourself to either drop into or imagine dropping into this grounded, balanced place. calling to mind with your eyes closed, if you will, the, our beloved Dharma sisters here, even if you've never met them before, just to kind of drop into this um, decades-long sangha of wise women. May you all see the world with grandmotherly eyes. May we all live with balance and peace. May we accept the changing circumstances of our lives. May we bear witness to things just as they are. May we learn to see the arising and passing of all things with equanimity and balance. May we live with balance and peace. May we see the world through grandmotherly eyes. May we learn to see the arising and passing of all things with equanimity and balance. May we cultivate the capacity to bear witness to things just as they are. 
And we imagine our beautiful Sangha here, and these well wishes passing from Dharma sister to Dharma sister with such strength that they spill out, out from our circle and are offered to all beings everywhere, those beings in war-torn areas, those beings in prisons, those beings in hospitals, those beings on mountaintops, those beings just being born, those beings that are healthy, those beings that are sick, those beings with four legs, eight legs that slither, that swim, that fly, that all beings everywhere may have a sense of living with peace and balance. May bear witness to things just as they are, may see the world with grandmotherly eyes. May all beings everywhere have a steadiness of heart and be guided by the values they most hold dear, these qualities of the perfected heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.